Welcome to Chatterbox Hub Podcast. We aim to be your go-to resource for insights, advice, and engagement with all things audio, and not only. I'm your host, Julia Stancheva. In this podcast episode, we'll delve into the exciting world of audiobooks. They are the new art form booming in popularity, pulling in more new audiences as we speak. Along with the rapid expansion of the audiobook world, we see more enthusiasm around the opportunity to get involved in the creative process of audiobooks narration. There is more need for talented and diverse readers, which makes the industry such a wonderful community to be part of. The audiobook industry is one of the more democratic areas in the entertainment industry. First of all, there's booming content. But second of all, there's room for every type of voice, which is really refreshing. This is my wonderful guest who will guide us through our walk in the exciting world of audiobooks. Her name is Lawrence Bouvard, a seasoned audiobook actress. She is a chair of Equity Screen and New Media Committee and sits on the Audiobook Working Party. She's also a member of the Audiobook Creators Alliance and the Audiobook Publishers Association. Together with Lawrence, we look into the audiobook production process, from budgeting and recording to timeframes. Recording the book takes time. Editing it, mastering it, proofing it, all of that takes time. We'll look into the different skills required for a good audiobook narration, including preparation, pace, and stamina. If you are genuinely interested in audiobooks, by all means, delve in. We'll talk about the challenges you as a narrator will most likely face. Be prepared to deal with the unrecordable and make it recordable. <laughs> we'll touch a hot topic like the use of AI in audiobooks. AI can write a book. Yes, they can. Do you want AI to write all books? No. Getting to know the audiobook industry is the first step in becoming part of it. But is it the right fit for you? It isn't terribly glamorous. Some people can, not everybody can. A lot of people say, oh, well, what equipment do I need to buy? That's the wrong first question. The first question should be, how can I get some experience? And here comes my guest, Lawrence Bouvard, who will give you plenty of great insight. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, Julia. Welcome to our virtual studio. And thank you for accepting to be our guest. Well, thank you for inviting me, having me talk about one of my favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally my honor and pleasure. You have narrated more than 300 audiobooks to date. Yes. That's so impressive. How did your journey as an audiobook narrator begin? Well, I started doing books, I was thinking about it today, over 20 years ago, which is amazing. It was something that I desperately wanted to do, and I knew of people who had done it, but I didn't know a way in at the time. So I literally went to the library and pulled some texts and made my own recordings. And I mm. sent off this little tape to, I just found some companies and sent off the tape on spec. And amazingly, one of them wrote back immediately and went, oh, yeah, 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 we're looking for voices like yours. So. That's how I started. I should say before that, actually, rolling back a year before, I'd heard that some of my friends had worked for the RNIB Talking Book Studios. And I very cheekily wrote to them and said, oh, I hear you're looking for people, which I didn't know at all, <laughs> but I thought I'd try. And they had me come along for an audition, which they did back in those days. And so I started recording books with them. And then from that, I thought I can do this. But I would say that by and large, the audiobook industry is 
one of the more democratic areas in the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. Because you can write straight to companies with your reel and go, look, this is me. This is what I do. And they will listen to them. There aren't the same gatekeepers as there might be for, say, you know, feature films or something Video like that. Video games. Yeah. Or animations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, first of all, there's booming content. But second of all, there's room for every type of voice, which is really refreshing. That's very promising. <laughs> And what are the main responsibilities as an audiobook narrator? After all, I know you have to deliver a well-read, edited, and mastered audiobook that is going to sell. That includes hours of preparation, recording, editing, quality control check, mastering. Am I missing something? <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I think the main thing to keep in mind is that as a narrator, those things, the mastering, the editing, said, aren't your responsibility. Your responsibility is to prepare and deliver the script that's given to you on time and with as few mistakes as possible. The other things are dealt with their separate jobs and by and large should be dealt with by separate people. There are some people who work at home and have found that they can do some of the mastering and proofing, but A, it's not a requirement, and B, if you do do those things, you must bill for them separately. They are not jobs that are included in the audiobook narrator's role. They're separate. Yes. And if, as an audiobook narrator, you are approached, what are the most important questions that you need to ask the publisher before you start working on an audiobook? Well, probably the most immediate question is, when do you need this by? And the reason why I say that is that the timeframes are getting ridiculously short. Part of the issue is that there is now a push, and, and quite a good one, I think, to publish the audiobook version when the, the hardback version comes out. And I do think that's a good idea, because if you publish the audio after the book has come out, there isn't as much interest in it. However, publishers don't seem to take on board that it takes a while to make an audiobook. Hmm. It's not just reading words. You have to prepare. Yeah. You can't just go in there and read a historical book about, I don't know, um, Masada, for example, <laughs> and just expect that people can sight read the names from like ancient Sumerian or whatever, um, or go in and there's 20 different accents and just be able to sight through them. You have to prep. That takes time. Recording the book takes time. Editing it, mastering it, proofing it, all of that takes time. Wow. It sounds like a very time-consuming job. It is. It is. And so it is one of those things whereby the first question I always ask is, when do you need this done by? When do you want me to come in to record? Or when do you want me to deliver the raw files to you? Then I start to work backward. Now, I should be working in, in words, <laughs> like how many words is this book? But yeah. for me, it, and it's a very rough thing, I, I prefer it if somebody says, oh, this book is 350 pages. Now, I'll be honest with you, that is kind of meaningless because some books can be 350 pages and it might be a romance with short words and you can go through it very quickly. Another book might be 350 pages and is a very dense essay on the Spanish Civil War and that won't go so fast. Yeah. But it gives me a rough idea of how big the book is, how much time I'm going to need to prep 
and how much studio time I'm going to need. And how do you calculate that? Um, usually it is the producer who will do the calculation for you, and they do it much more accurately because they know, they tend to do it by number of words, which is far more accurate. One producer told me that as a rough rule of thumb, he expects a reader to do about 10,000 words an hour. Okay. But it's very rough because it's one thing to read, say, a ladybird book for a five-year-old. Yeah. And another thing to do, you know, the Spanish Civil War. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so these are all generalizations. But generally, for me, I would expect to record, depending on the book, between 120 and 150 pages a day. Sometimes I've done up to 200 a day. Sometimes I've done as little as 90 a day. It just depends on the, th on the density. And how do you prepare for the audiobook recording? Ah, it does take hours. And that is something people should be aware of because it's not paid. But I will, I generally read the book twice, sometimes three times. So I'll read the book the first time very carefully. I will make markings, note pronunciations, any accents or voices. So I'm reading it very, very carefully for details. Then I will do a much shorter, quicker skim to make sure I have all the voices set, to make sure that I haven't missed any pronunciations. And, and one of the things that trips a lot of us up sometimes is that you see a word and you'll know that word because yeah. you've read that word in your head hundreds of times, <laughs> but you've never actually said the word out loud because it might be a word that you don't say in conversation. And so I try and really look up everything because sometimes I'll go, okay, I know that word, but is it really stressed on the first syllable? Is it, you know, poopai or poopay or poopai, <laughs> you know? And then you have to run check. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I do as much work in advance as I possibly can. And you have to. Because the simple fact of the matter is, when you're in the studio, there isn't the time to make lots of errors. I heard one producer say that generally his people make about two mistakes per page. And if he finds somebody who's doing far more than that, he won't use them again. Wow. Now, that's, again, that's a rule of thumb. and It's a bit harsh. And we've all been in that, you know, after lunch slump where you start to fall asleep and you're reading everything in a mess. But a good reader will be very fluent and have done their prep and will hardly need to stop. So I guess that it will take you hours on end to prepare for the audiobook. It does. It does, which kind of brings up another point, which is, yes, audiobooks are, it's a wonderful industry and it's a very exciting one, but it's not for everybody and that's okay. Um, I think some actors feel almost like a pressure, like, oh, I should be into this because it's something that's good and, and you know, regular work and there's lots going. But not everybody wants or likes to be doing all the prep. Not everybody wants or likes to be reading for literally hours on end. It's exhausting work. Yeah. And for some people, they find it really boring. And that's okay. <laughs> you know, you don't have to do it. I think because I've, I've led workshops myself before, and I remember there have been some people who have struggled with it. And I say, well, why did you decide to do this workshop? And they go, oh, because I'm an actor and I should do this. No, <laughs> you don't have to. There's, there's some people who are amazing at short form. Do that. But if you love reading, which you have to do for this. If you love reading, if you love stories, if you love characters, you love language, you love doing the research, then it can be very rewarding.
Yeah, absolutely. You just need to be a reader, someone who reads books anyway, whether he records them as an audiobook or just reads them in their spare time. Exactly, exactly. You really have to be somebody who's read a lot and read very widely because you don't have much control over what you're chosen for. I think some people go in thinking, oh, I love books and I want to read Mary Poppins. Hmm. They will get some big star to read Mary Poppins and you will be given the history of psychology. <laughs> there is in the publisher's head, they, they or the author will have an idea of what kind of voice they want. And you might be a brilliant reader, but they might decide, actually, we want somebody with a very low, gruff tone. Or we want somebody who sounds like they come from an inner yeah. city. Or we want to try to get that big star. If we can't get it, we want to sound we want to get somebody who sounds exactly like Big Star. So there's so many variables that you have no control over. That brings me to my next question. Are you ever in position to choose what would be your next project when you're approached by a publisher? Do you always take any audiobook? Um, that has been offered to you or have you ever said no to something that you were not happy recording because it is against your morals or you don't feel comfortable with the subject? That's a really, really good question, actually. Um, by and large, I say yes to everything. Uh, this is, And this is partly driven by the fact that, you know, I... I love what I do. I will read whatever. Some books I enjoy more than others, absolutely. But I will, I will read whatever. However, there are those books that sometimes you get them and you go, ooh, this makes me feel really uncomfortable. I've only said no outright once, and I was already halfway through the prep. And I think this is one of the issues with the time frames that we have now. You get asked if you want to do a book. You know absolutely nothing about the book because at most you will have maybe done a test and most of the time you don't even test because people are like, oh, we know what your voice sounds like. So by the time you get the book and you start to read the book, to turn down the book at that point, it, it becomes very difficult and which is why I've hardly ever done it. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Um, Interestingly enough, the one time I had the courage to say, no, I can't do this, and this was a book that was so vile, I thought, I'm going to be sick on Mike if I read this. Hmm. I can't do this. This is so against everything that I feel. And what was hard was that I really needed the work at the time, but I spoke to the head producer, and I said, I'm really, really sorry. I just can't do this. And he went, you're absolutely right. Mm. We don't like the books we've been getting from this publisher. I'm going to tell them. And then the engineer said to me, I'm so glad you turned down that book because if you record it, I have to listen to it. <laughs> now, that was an extreme case. There are some books where I think back and I think, I wish I'd said no. And I do, and I would encourage people to be a little bit more proactive than I have been, I think, because, you know, sometimes it's just a book about history or whatever, and that's fine. But Sometimes you'll get maybe some, you know, uh, crime fiction that's particularly gory. Yeah. I mean, I had a book once many, many, many years ago that was about a serial killer who, who, who would take fathers and daughters and kill them and do unspeakable things to them. And I just found it so disturbing. And Who would want to listen to those books? I know. I would never even read them, let alone to listen to them deliberately. There is a market for everything. 
<laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, I know that sounds very judgy from me to say that. No, but it's really interesting because like one of, there was one book where I questioned it halfway through and it was just too late in the process. And we said, you know, go ahead, go ahead. They were like, go ahead and do it. And when I started to record, the head producer came, broke into the session, went, oh my God, I see what you mean. Hmm. And I went through and I recorded it and it was horrific. I've never recorded anything so bad ever since. But then we were talking about it just about a year or two ago and we went and we looked it up on Audible and the reviews it got were really good. Hmm. Oh, this is a really intriguing story. I like the psychological aspect to it. Yes, it's a very interesting delve into that world. And I <laughs> thought, okay, yeah, you just never know. Yeah, exactly. To be honest, I do such a wide range of books that those books are thankfully rare. And the vast majority of the books I do, I really enjoy because I learn something from almost every one of them. I have recorded the history of the Spanish Civil War. Don't know why they thought I was the best voice for that, but I learned a lot. I learned an awful lot. Um, I did a fascinating book before Christmas about um, the downflight MH370, the one that, that disappeared. That was fantastic. I love doing children's books. I like, there, there are very few genres that I don't like. I will read more or less anything. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to fiction and non-fiction genres, is there a different approach in the narration? There is. So with the fiction, you are going to be looking more at character voices, at telling the story, at, you know, the narrative voice. With non-fiction, you are going to have more attention spent on, I guess, the material you're trying to get across. So there are going to be more words you might need to look up. There might be technical vocabularies. If it's a history book, there might be ancient languages. And with those, it's so important to get those details right. Because somebody who is picking up a book to, I don't know, listen to the history of the Spanish Civil War, for example, is somebody who's really interested in that. So if you're mispronouncing the name of the generals and you're mispronouncing the place names, that's really going to take away from their experience because they probably know more about it than yeah. you do. <laughs> Absolutely. And this will be very disappointing for them. Now, there is one other thing I would like to bring up when we're talking about nonfiction books is that, uh, again, one of these myths about, oh, it's just reading words, how hard can it be? A lot of nonfiction books have things which are incredibly difficult to record, like tables, charts, and graphs. <laughs> diagrams. How would you record that? <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a fascinating process. And usually it's really good if you work with your producer and agree something beforehand. So a lot of the production houses I work with now have a standard way of doing something like a table or a graph. But when you have a diagram, you sometimes have to get really creative. Sometimes you describe it. Sometimes you might cut out all reference to it, which is usually a last resort. I did probably one of my most favorite books last year, but also one of the most difficult books I've ever done, a fantastic book called Languages Are Good For You, which I'm a big linguist and I absolutely love this book and I've become friends with the author. I loved it so much. However, in the book... She said something like, oh, this is the ancient Sumerian sign for sun god, bam, and hmm. put it on the page. 
and then kept referring to it. Instead of saying Sungaj said, and here is mm, and as we can see from mm, and it was a little pictogram. Mm. <laughs> and I just went, how, how, how am I supposed to record a pictogram? I, I kind of got rounded. I can't remember exactly what I did. I said, you know, something like, you know, the, the crosshatch signs with the points on the, I, I did something like that. But it is one of the things that you as an audiobook reader have to deal with is that nine times out of 10, the writer has not thought about you. They're not thinking about the audio version. They're just thinking about the book. So be prepared to deal with the unrecordable and make it recordable. <laughs> and here comes uh, the job of the producer. I guess that it is very helpful to have a professional producer because I know that some narrators are producers themselves as well and they do everything by themselves. I mean, I think it can be done, but it's a little bit like directing a movie that you're starring in and producing it and doing it all yourself. It's a lot of work. And individually, you might be fantastic at all of those jobs, but Ultimately, th I think it's much better if you have several different people who are specialists involved. Because the other thing as well, for something like proofing, yeah. you simply are not going to hear your own mistakes. You just aren't. It's so much better to have a fresh pair of ears proofing what you've done, just like a writer would. Yeah, It's such an exhausting process. I don't really see why anybody <laughs> want to do it all themselves. <laughs> But I know some people do. Can you summarize... In a nutshell, what does the audiobook production process entail from start to finish? Okay, so, and this is by and large the way it works for with the regular studios. It might be slightly different if you're going direct. But generally what happens is a studio or producer will be contacted by a publisher and say, we've got this title, it needs to be recorded. Um, in an ideal world, it's usually about three months in advance. In a less than ideal world, it's a few weeks in advance. Um, <laughs> And then the studio will often make suggestions, uh, casting suggestions to the publisher. Sometimes the publisher decides, sometimes the author decides, sometimes the studio decides. But amongst the three, they will select the narrator. Um, one of the difficulties as well is getting the final version of the manuscript because it is the final version that the reader needs. Yeah. Once you have managed to extract this <laughs> from the author's <laughs> fingers, um, tugged it away. Usually that might be, if you're lucky, three weeks before recording. If you're unlucky, about a week before recording. Then the narrator will prep the book. You'll go in and record. An average 350-page novel should probably take about two and a half to three days to record, roughly. The producer, who is often the engineer, not always, but often, will be the first listener. They will pick up errors. They will, make, they will mark out the manuscript with errors, retakes, any alterations, typos, and then send it on to the audio editor. Then the audio editor will do the engineering. They will edit out the mistakes. They'll fix the technical issues. They'll make sure the pacing is correct. So they'll be doing that bit. Then... The edited files are mastered, and this is to the publisher's specs. So that would be the tone and the volume, the formatting. How do they want the files named? What kind of metadata do they have? Are there any legal issues about relative volume? And this is why it's something that I think unless you're really experienced in this area as a narrator, I would just leave it to the people who do this on a regular basis. 
because it's very, it can be very technical. Then the master waves are converted into MP3s and they're sent for proofing. And then the proofer will then listen through the files and then they'll report any errors in narrating, editing, or mastering. A friend of mine has said to me, who's a producer, says, this is a vital stage in audiobook production. It's desperately underpaid and mostly unknown, but highly important. Yeah. And then the proof will come back with any pickups or any things that need to be fixed. And then once all of that is fixed, it's sent on to the client who then takes it on. And sometimes there is some, you know, there may be some more technical stuff, like they might want it in different formats or different file formats for, you know, CDs and other masters. So that bit is a little bit more technical and outside my area of expertise, but that's how I understand the whole pipeline goes. So as a timeline and overall, how long is this whole process you think I'm going to take? (laughs) Well, it's kind of like how long is a piece of string? There's the ideal and then there's the crazy. And I think this is one of the difficulties is that all of us who work in the audiobook industry love our work. We love what we do. We believe in it passionately. But as time has gone on and time frames have tightened, everybody's just swallowed hard and made things fit. And I think the issue with that is that we're kind of perpetuating this less than ideal time frame. Yeah. The people who started off are not going to learn that it takes extra time if we're working evenings and weekends to fulfill that. Um, And, you know, I speak as somebody who does that. You know, I will work evenings and weekends and late into the night to meet deadlines because I want to do a good job. But it is one of those things to keep in mind that there are multiple steps and, you know, be careful be careful not to make yourself miserable by underestimating how much time you're going to need. Particularly if you need extra time to prep or if you need help with prepping. Oh, and that's another thing I would say is that a lot of readers don't realize that you can ask for help. So for instance, if you're doing a book and there happens to be, say, a lot of Finnish in it, for example, and you don't happen to speak Finnish, you can ask the studio or whoever hires you to say, look, I need some help. Could you get a Finnish speaker to record these words for me? Or could you get somebody to do the research? If you ask, a lot of studios will actually help out. If you don't ask, they will think you're fine. Mm. And they will expect you to go into the studio with all of those pronunciations prepped. Well, that's a very good point and very good advice. Well, definitely audiobook narration is... um... An absolute marathon. Thousands of words have to be spoken and not just recited, but presented with a level of emotion and uh, engagement that will keep listeners enthralled for hours on end. So what is a fair pay in an audiobook narration, recording and post-production? Well, I don't actually know the overall, but I think it is important to understand that there are separate fees for separate things. So, and in this country in particular, in the UK, as an audiobook narrator, you should be charged and paying for your narration. If you happen to also master or say you happen to proof or you do anything else, that is a separate fee because it's a separate job. In this country, the narration fees are a lot lower than in the US. Um, That's partly because 
we tend to go into a studio, record, and leave. If you were recording from home with a proper setup, and you're, and you're not just sort of recording from home, sending in files for somebody else to master, but you're recording from home and you're doing any, any sort of technical thing with your files, then you should be paid a bit more. The actual amount has been something that has been debated for ages. Part of the issue is that there are so many different audiobook companies that there isn't one agreement. But as a rough rule of thumb, very rough rule of thumb, people should expect to get about 75 pounds per finished hour, minimum. Now, per finished hour, an hour are, are two things somebody should be aware of. It might take, you might spend six hours in the studio on a particular day, which is a normal day. You might go from 10 to 1, 2 to 5. Yeah. Out of those six hours of work, you may only get four finished hours of material. You are only paid for the finished hours. Yeah, not for the hours that you have spent in the studio recording. Not for the hours you've spent. And actually, although that may sound a bit harsh, it's actually very fair. Because if you have somebody who has done thousands of books and they've spent thousands of hours and they're, you know, really well known and they've done lots, they're not going to make many mistakes. Out of those six hours of recording, they might produce four and a half, five hours of really good material. Somebody who's inexperienced or hasn't done their prep or, you know, is new to it or whatever, they may only get two decent hours out of that day's work. So if you're paid for the final finished recorded hour, that makes it a level playing hmm. field. But it is something that when you are being booked for a job to be aware of that you might be working for six hours, but you're not going to be paid for six hours. Yes. And about half your listeners have gone, oh, okay, maybe I don't want to do audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely not one of the highest paid jobs in the voiceover industry. But as you said, if you really love books and you enjoy reading them and learning new things and doing all the research and preparation, then that's the job for you. Absolutely. I think the other thing, though, to be aware of as well is just from a physical point of view, it can be exhausting work. You have to look after your body. You have to look after your voice. It's no good drinking water on the day. You have to be dehydrated two days before. It's not like going in and doing, you know, a one-hour voiceover somewhere. Yeah. It is you are committed and sitting there for the long run. You know, and again, that's something to take into account. Some people might love that. Some people might go, oh, that just sounds exhausting. And it is. <laughs> it can be physically very demanding. You need a lot of stamina for that. Absolutely. Well, there are hugely ambitious productions using ensemble casts and uh, specially created soundscapes and surround sound 3D audio. Have you been part of such uh, ambitious and exciting project where uh, you were just one of the many narrators? Yeah, I, I actually have. Um, the thing about them is that when they get like that, they're no longer really considered audiobooks. They're considered audio dramas. Yeah. Audible puts out several of them, and I've been involved. I've been lucky to be involved in several of them. And I love it. I really, really do love it because it is. It's an audio drama, and you're working with other people, and, and you know, you're part of a cast. And they're tremendously exciting, and I'm actually really glad that they're beginning to happen because it's helping the audiobook audience be now open to audio drama 
which I think had taken a dip and is really beginning to come back. But they are very different creatures. Having said that, there is also something else similar to be aware of is a multi-voice. Yeah. So multi-voice sort of sits in between the two. And a multi-voice is where a company will hire two or more narrators for a single book. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. I've done some where usually there's science fiction, I find, but, you know, obviously not always. But I've done the science fiction book where this event happened and a dozen different people from the town are reacting. And you kind of really need to hear different voices because the whole point of the book was different people reacting to the one event. Now, the thing to be aware of with those is that although a lot of authors think, oh, wow, that sounds amazing, let's get lots of people in, there is a minimum fee per actor for that. So there's a minimum of 200 pounds. And when I say minimum, I mean that in the generic sense, it's not an actual minimum. Um, but it means that every actor has to get at least a certain amount to make it worth their while because they won't come in for 25 pounds. So it makes it more expensive. But it also, as a narrator... It, it can be a little bit frustrating because you really should be reading the entire book, but you're only going to be recording a small amount of it. And that mm. can make some difficulties because some people go, well, I'm just reading these three chapters. I don't have time. I've got other proje projects. I'll just prep those three chapters. The difficulty then comes in that you might be talking about events that have happened in the book that you don't know about because you haven't read them. Or you haven't heard the other people speak, so you don't realize what they sound like and that is another problem I've done a couple books where I haven't heard the other narrators but I'm supposed to imitate their voices and one review said why did that character sound so different when she recorded it, it sounded nothing like the two and I thought well how was I supposed to know I never heard them that's a big challenge yeah but it is it is interesting by and large an audiobook is going to be one narrator with one story but these other versions, like the multi-read and then the full-on audio drama, also exist as well in the same space. And that's good to know. There is much debate about whether listening to a book is the same as reading it. And what would be your take on this? It's really interesting, but there has been some scientific studies that show that you do get the same from listening as you do from reading, hmm. which is fascinating. I mean, for myself, I think they are just different yet the same. I think if I'm reading a book myself, there will be certain things like I can stop, I can see particular vocabulary. If there's a word I don't know, for instance, I can stop, I can look it up. I can go, hmm, I wonder what that means. I can go over the sentence again. When you're hearing it, obviously it's in one flow. But then if you have somebody interpreting it for you, then it makes sense. So I just think, you know, they're just different. Maybe audio is more enriching for the experience of the reader. I, I think it just depends. Um, they have something, or they had something anyway, called WhisperSync at one point, where you could buy a hard copy book and then buy the audio version of it. And the technology was such that if you were, say, reading a book on your tablet and then wanted to pick it up when you were in the car, they could pick up from the same point you'd left off. But it hasn't been that popular because people read certain books they will read on a tablet, certain books they'll read hard copy, and certain books they'll listen to. Yeah. If you're cooking in the kitchen and you're listening to something, you'll probably listen to one type of thing. If you're reading before bed, 
then you probably want to look at another type of thing. If you're on the train, you might want to have a different type of thing. So I think people use all versions of a story, just depending on the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's no surprise that um, in this booming industry, the use of artificial intelligence is lurking in. Companies are hiring narrators who are reading books and feeding that into the AI system, which means that the AI is learning the narrator's voice. And that might mean that one day human voices uh, may be replaced by AI. So should a narrator ever sell their voice to AI? And if they decide to do that, what would be a justified pay? Ooh, this is a really hot topic now. Um, it's And it's a complex one. I mean, I think the short answer is there is nothing that can replace the human voice in interpreting a story. Because the simple fact of the matter is, if you were to record a story and I were to record the exact same story, it would sound different. We have different voices, we have different timbres, we have different intentions, we have different intonations. We'll make mistakes and that mistakes make part of the beauty of listening. And that is something that an AI voice just can't replace. So I think, I think AI would never completely 100% replace. Where I think it is actually a useful thing is for things like textbooks. Um, I, when I was doing my master's, there was a, a guy on my course, it was a computer science course, who was blind. And he had to rely on this really horrendous, dry text-to-speech voice to listen to the manuals. Mm. And that's where I think, actually, an AI voice would come in handy because it's, you know, reading a computer science manual isn't something that most people would want to do. <laughs> but an AI voice would be able to have it neutral and clear so that somebody who's sight-impaired could get the information. So I do think it may have its uses. However, I think it's something that we all have to be very, very careful about. If an actor is approached about it, you must think very, very carefully. Because if your voice is used and then taken, A, why would they need you in future for that particular job? And B, you then lose control of it. And C, you would have to get a pretty big compensation going forward for that. And a lot of these AI companies are not paying very much for the rights. So I hear, yeah. I think it's something to tread extremely carefully. I think one of the big issues, I, to be honest, I haven't heard about AI in books very much yet. It's more been for other things. But I would be very careful when you see these ads that say, oh, we want you to add your voice to a database <laughs> or we want you to help with this exciting project. Be careful. Be really, really careful because you don't want to do the job and then find that you can't do other work because your voice is recognizable as that. But it's, you know, it's a tricky thing. I think there will definitely be some positive uses of AI, but from a creative artistic standpoint, it's like saying, well, AI can write a book. Yes, <laughs> they can. Do you want AI to write all books? 
No. <laughs> and the same goes for voices. Would you want AI to voice every single book? Well, no, y you wouldn't. <laughs> Absolutely. I know that you run workshops at uh, the Actors Center. Is there any workshop that uh, it's um, in the pipeline, which um, any uh, aspiring audiobook narrators could attend? <laughs> <laughs> well, sadly, before COVID, I had a whole slate of them lined up, and now and now they've all gone away. So I probably will be doing it in future. But I mean, what I would say to people is that if you are genuinely interested in audiobooks, by all means, delve in. But be aware of what you're getting into. It isn't terribly glamorous, um, which is fine. But you shouldn't go into it thinking, oh, wow, it's a great way to make a fast buck and anybody can do it. And anybody can't. And I think that is the hard, cold fact. Of the matter. But that's true for, I think, all aspects of the entertainment industry. You know, you might be a wonderful singer, but that doesn't mean you can sing opera or you can be a session singer or you can be a West End singer. They're all different skills. Some people can. Not everybody can. And so I think it's that thing of go in humbly. A lot of people say, oh, well, what equipment do I need to buy? That's the wrong first question. <laughs> the first question should be, how can I get some experience? How can someone get some experience if they have never done audiobook narration? Well, a very simple thing is to read out loud at home to yourself. Just, you know, that's a very quick, easy thing anybody can do. Pick up a book off the shelf that you like, that you think matches your voice, read it out loud for half an hour, an hour. And if you find that you can read very fluently, that you're not stumbling, that you're enjoying it, then you should do, you know, make yourself a reel, send it round. Some companies will audition more and more beginning to go, oh, we need different voices. Um, I'm pretty sure that Audible will hold auditions. The RNIB, RNIB Talking Book Studios in Camden used to. I don't know if they still do because they have quite a lot of readers already. Keep an eye out for those auditions and even write to companies and say, hey, you know, here's my, here's my reel. I'd be happy to come in and do a test. But like I said before, keep in mind that there's a real hunger for all sorts of different voices. So when you are approaching a company, be aware of what you have to bring to the table. You know, is there a particular accent you grew up with? Are you from a different part of the country, a different part of the world? Uh... You know, what is your background? Do you have a particular high voice, particularly low voice? What do you like? And I think it's worth people sitting down and going, what am I good at with this? What am I drawn to? Not everybody is going to be able to do everything, and that's okay. <laughs> there is room for everybody's type of voice. I'm never going to be really low and bassy and rich. You know, I just don't have those tones, and that's fine. But I've learned to go, okay, so I can't do books that require that, but I'll do books with that require a lighter voice. Um, you know, obviously my base accent is American, but I do loads of different languages. So that's what people tend to come to me for. Um, which is why when I did that book, um, Languages Are Good For You, which had something like 60 different languages. Wow. In it, I was like, this is my book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was very hard and very stressful, but I loved it. So it's that sort of thing. If you can write into somebody and say, look, I'm Irish, I'm from Dublin, but my mother is Scots, so I can do Scots, that's very useful for them. They want to know where you're going to fit into. Or, you know, my um, parents are from Mumbai, but I grew up in South Africa, so I've got this and this daughter. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
play to your strengths. And that's a great advice. Thank you so much, Lorenz. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for listening to this podcast episode with the wonderful audiobook narrator, Lorenz Bouvart. If you have enjoyed the show, rate it and leave a review. And don't forget to check out the other episodes if you want to hear more inspirational guests who are a great resource of insights and advice about all things audio and not only. Oh,